0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. From the takeout counter to the convenience store where no service is offered, we're being asked to tip more, more often. We'll talk about the tipping point in tipflation and a massive boost to cancer research in Canada with $55 million designed to transform outcomes in the cancers with the lowest survival rates. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's being called a landmark study. Researchers have discovered a new gene connected to hereditary breast cancer susceptibility. It's called ATRIP, and it could allow for more frequent and targeted screenings to catch the disease earlier, as well as more targeted treatments. ATRIP appears to be less common than other mutations linked to hereditary breast cancer, but it could explain why doctors frequently encounter patients where breast cancer runs in the family, but none of the family members have the well-known BRCA1 and BRCA2 gene mutations.
2: I'm requesting that the federal minister of health, the Honorable Jean-Yves Duclos, review the food and drug regulation under the Food and Drug Act.
1: BC's health minister says his government will limit the sale of Ozempic to Americans, to ensure that Canadian patients with type 2 diabetes can access it. It's intended for that disease, and some doctors prescribe it for patients who are obese. But there are shortages because it's being used and touted by celebrities who want to shed a few pounds. And it's much cheaper in Canada. Dix claims two Vancouver pharmacies and one out-of-province doctor are responsible for thousands of prescriptions for Ozempic going to Americans. With word this week that Pope Francis has been hospitalized with a respiratory infection, the pontiff is also in the news for a photo that went viral. It shows the Pope wearing a stylish Balenciaga white puffer jacket and a crucifix. But it's a fake, a deep fake by artificial intelligence. This is just the latest in a line of convincing deep fakes using AI to manufacture fake images or videos of things that never existed. Pickleball is a relatively new sport that is being embraced by Zoomers. Now retired tennis greats Andy Roddick, John McEnroe, Andre Agassi, and Michael Chang will take part in a made-for-TV exhibition in Hollywood, Florida. The Pickleball Slam will involve that quartet of International Tennis Hall of Fame inductees playing singles and doubles against each other, with a total purse of a million dollars. Promoters of the sport hope this will lead to regular broadcast coverage. Walter Cole, who was crowned the world's oldest working drag performer in 2016 by Guinness World Records, Died last week at the age of 92. Cole performed for more than five decades as Darcel the 15th, decked out in sequins, outlandish wigs, and bombastic makeup. He opened the Darcel 15 Showplace nightclub nearly 50 years ago, and it became a Portland cultural institution. In 2020, it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places, the first site in Oregon to be nominated specifically for its significance in LGBTQ plus history. Cole was also a U.S. Army veteran, activist, philanthropist, businessman, and devoted partner. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Are you tired of tipflation, of being asked for more money on top of tax at every point of sale, even for the teensiest transactions where no service is involved? An Angus Reid poll finds nearly 65% of us have been asked to tip more often and to dole out larger tips. Over the last five years, the average gratuity has jumped from 16% to 20%. I talked with digital
2: and cyber lawyer and strategist Ritesh Kotek. I feel like sometimes I even get coached into clicking for the higher tips. We are getting nudged at the point of sale to give more money of our hard-earned money away uh, through tips.
1: How is technology playing into that? Because
2: usually we're just handed a terminal. It's playing a huge part. There's a lot of psychology that goes into the technology. There's actually even a term for it. The term is called dark patterns. And what dark patterns do is they try to convince individuals to do certain type of actions. So you might see, for example, when you go to, when you go to check out the tip button or do you want to give a tip? Maybe yes is first. And it's a big green button. But no might be a small red button somewhere else or might not even be red. It might actually be another color. The whole idea is to nudge people into doing certain things. There's a reason why higher amounts might be first. And the reason for that is they're trying to convince you to click on the higher number. That is technology trying to nudge you into doing certain into doing certain behaviors. And it is very common. Everything is supposed to be quick now. There's self checkouts. It's convenient. Well, there's a price to pay for that convenience. And, uh, that's exactly what we are seeing now is even though we want to expedite that, that process, it used to be keep the customer in the store as long as possible where the customer just doesn't want to stay in a particular location. They want to get their stuff and just get out. We're also seeing situations where you can prepay for your stuff and, and have it, uh, have it dropped off. But, What gets built into it is tips. Sometimes you don't even have the option of picking zero. Yeah, adding that layer of friction, adding that, uh, making it that much more harder to say no when we're in a rush, that's all by design.
1: What a lot of people don't think about is that the software companies Mm -hmm. that provide these payment options are also Making a lot of money
2: out of this, they are making a lot of money. They take a percentage. In some cases, I've seen one percent, one point five percent, one point four percent, all the way up to over three percent, plus a transaction fee. And they're doing this for several reasons. Number one is they're facilitating the transaction um, that involves programmers and it involves software, security certificates, all that stuff, all that things, all, all that costs money. But also, the um, the credit card companies themselves, they charge the issuer charges. So when you take all that and you aggregate it, in some cases, it's about, on average, I would say maybe 2.6% per transaction that these software companies are taking. And that is just to facilitate the transaction. They haven't created the product. They had nothing to do with the marketing, nothing with the sales. They just provided a terminal so people can check out.
1: So it's in their interest that these things go higher and higher uh- do they ever drive these increases or what's their role in this aside from
2: providing the software? So when you actually get the point of sale terminal and you set it up, um, their defaults, you are prompted by a lot of these organizations to create the highest tips possible based on the industry. Why? Because they make more money and they want they want to make it simpler for the vendor, um, being the, the, the business owner or the small business owner. But yeah, there is an ulterior motive. The, more, the higher the transaction the, the, and the more money that they get because it works on percentages.
1: Okay, so we're doing more of our own transactions online, yet we get charged these convenience fees when in fact we're performing the service and saving the company from having to pay labor costs.
2: The way I look at it is there are ways of Gouging consumers. And then there are legitimate fees as well that we need to, that we need to consider. And I take my parents, they're small business owners. They're in food manufacturing. They have a small retail location. And at the start of the pandemic, what they did was they took, uh, uh, they had to go online. Um, stores were shut down. There was a lot of uncertainty. Everyone's like, let's create an online store. That seemed to be the solution. Well, when they did that, um, they were very conscious of trying to keep the prices the same. That's what they wanted to do. If they had inventory, they kept the price the same. But there were additional costs that came with going online. There was the fact that inventory needed to be synced up. Just that module alone cost them five thousand dollars. Forget the designing fees. Forget the licensing fees. Forget the 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 fact that now you're shipping something and you got to have it pre-packaged. So there's cost for boxes, and there, there were all these addition. There were all these additional fees that end up going off to the consumer. But does that mean that it's fair to charge a convenience fee when there is no additional labor, when there is no additional um cost to the vendor? That's greedy, right? And that is not fair. And I think what what organizations need to do is they need to be transparent. If there is a fee, explain to the co- the consumer why you're charging that fee. Don't just tack it on at checkout.
1: How do you make sure you know about all the fees, including all the hidden and junk fees?
2: Oh, that's a tough one. When it comes from a consumer protection standpoint, more definitely needs to be done to, and, and more advocacy needs to happen for transparency, putting cu- customers first, ensuring that these types of fees are not even allowed. But until that happens, you're going to have a shock when you when it comes time to pay and you're like, well, wait a second, I did the math in my head. It's supposed to be $15. Why is it $18? And then you see all these hidden costs. Ritesh
1: Kotek, thanks so much for being with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. That was digital and cyber lawyer and strategist
1: Ritesh Kotek. For more on this, watch The Great Canadian Cash Grab on the Zoomer TV on our sister station, Vision TV, Monday, April 10th at 10 (music) p.m. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, a massive investment in research to bring breakthroughs in cancers with the lowest survival rates.
0: You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members-only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: It's a massive research investment to change the outcomes in cancers with the lowest survival rates. Six charities and agencies, including the Canadian Cancer Society, have awarded $55 million to find breakthroughs in pancreatic, esophageal, brain, lung, liver, and stomach cancers. I talked with lead investigator Dr. Stephen Gallinger, and a note – I am involved in the project as a patient partner.
3: We're really excited that the Canadian Cancer Society has provided this new opportunity. It's it's bold from their perspective because there's a lot of funding, more than we're used to, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, it's sort of on par with some of the larger American and European grants that are properly funded to tackle big problems. So uh, the Canadian Cancer Society in their wisdom, decided to focus on what are called low survival cancers, five of them. And pancreas cancer is one of the more challenging cancers. So we gathered together as a team and wrote this long application. And it's been awarded, uh, which is very exciting. There's lots of competition in the country. So we feel that we're in a good position to do the work. And we're going to focus on one particular stage of pancreas cancer, which is called stage three, which represents about 30% of cases. I mean, all pancreas cancer is pretty bad. Uh, the patients that are operated on by surgeons like myself represent only about 15 or 20%. Those are earlier stage, or what's called stage one or two. And then stage four, for your audience, probably is familiar. That's the worst, more advanced stage. Those are patients with cancer that has spread or metastasized.
1: Cancer that's considered incurable.
3: Yes, it's, it's incurable based on current treatment options, which is primarily chemotherapy, but other novel approaches. The purpose or the principle of treating stage four disease is to lengthen life and try to improve quality of life as best as possible for as long as possible. In this particular grant, we're focusing on stage three, which is less well-appreciated. These are patients who are generally considered incurable as well. The survival rate is, uh, I mean, the five-year survival of stage three is close to zero. There are a few patients who respond dramatically to therapy. and
1: I am one stage, of them.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Fantastic. And uh, stage three is what's called locally advanced. You don't like acronyms, but we call it LAPC—locally advanced pancreas cancer. These are—it's an unusual form of the disease because it's—it's too big to be operated on. It's wrapped around blood vessels. There's infiltration into the tissues. We can't get a margin surgically, but it hasn't spread. And what's unusual is that this stage or these type of patients. Uh, Unfortunately, they do succumb to their disease, but it's not because it's spread. It's because it just keeps growing locally, invades other structures, causes bowel obstruction. And what's also pretty unique is that it causes weight loss that's out of proportion to the size of the tumor. And that's been a kind of mysterious problem for years.
1: Is it a case where patients with locally advanced pancreatic cancer, that it's not going to spread?
3: That is the nature of many of these cases. Is that is yeah? That's a good point, and that's one of the scientific questions that's mysterious and what we want to answer in this grant. And this has been noticed or published and observed for you know a hundred years. Is that there are some patients whose tumors grow locally; they don't spread, but people patients will die despite the fact that it's only growing locally just because of the local problems. And uh, that's still a pretty mysterious problem because you ask a good question is, why doesn't it spread? And that's something that we want to tackle in this grant in the work that we're proposing.
1: How are you going to research this in a way that would lead to a breakthrough?
3: The mandate of this particular grant competition by the Canadian Cancer Society was to design and conduct novel or new or unique clinical trials with a lot of science attached to it. We call that correlatives, science that's done with the specimens and with the patients themselves and with their blood and every other biologic specimen that we can collect from them. So we've designed a clinical trial, which is going to be comparing chemotherapy other therapies, and then a novel or new radiation therapy approach, which is more targeted and more powerful. Because again, as I mentioned, this is locally advanced disease, which causes a lot of pain and other problems. So naturally, if you can target it with radiation and keep the complications or the side effects as low as possible, then perhaps we can kill the cancer or at least keep it under control Uh, in a way that may be better or different than traditional methods, which is lower doses of radiation and chemotherapy. So we've designed a trial, which we hope is also going to be supported by the Canadian Cancer Trials Group, which is also part of the Canadian Cancer Society. It's run out of Kingston. It's a big uh, multi-center trial across a number of centers in Canada. At the same time, we're going to be collecting the tumor samples, the blood samples, and other uh, tissues and we'll be studying them at the genetic level and in other areas as well, looking at proteins, at the immune system, and trying to understand why this particular stage of disease is different than the other stages, doesn't seem to spread, but does grow locally, and is not that responsive to any therapy despite our best attempts. So we're hoping the grant is five years, and if things go well, we should be finished in five years. That's that's the way it's supposed to go. It doesn't always go exactly as planned, and sometimes we have to pivot and make some changes to look at all the data.
1: Dr. Stephen Gallinger, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you. That was Dr. Stephen Gallinger. His team will receive $7.5 million over five years to improve survival in pancreatic cancer. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide.
0: Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads,